many know that sometimes the Holy Spirit kind of shifts direction? You, you think you're going one way, and as you begin to pray, and as you begin to study, it kind of takes a turn. And all of a sudden, as in my study time, it took a very sharp turn. And so I've settled on the idea of 2020 vision, seeing the enemy. See, right now, one of the big topics of discussion in our nation is the question, are we headed for war? And you have, you have this, this competing ideas that, that some kind of want to say, well, you know what, if we just tiptoe around and we, and we don't stir the pot and we don't, we don't do certain things, that, that maybe this thing will just go away. And there are others that are saying, well, well no, you don't understand. We've been at, they've been at war with us for ages and ages and ages, and we're just now opening up to the idea, oh, wow, maybe they hate us. And so there's this, this talk and discussion that's going on, and, and the question is, do we wait until they devise a way to truly hurt us, or do we do something now? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking today to make any kind of political statement. I'm just kind of saying that what I'm talking about today is kind of in the news, and it's kind of things that people are thinking about. Well, I have some news for you this morning. When you woke up this morning... When you crawled out of bed, when you stretched and yawned, and if you're like me, the first thing is you head towards the coffee pot. And whatever it is you do to kind of help prop your eyes open, and when you were standing right there in that moment, I want you to know that you were standing right in the middle of a war. And many times we don't understand that. And we have been in this war for a very, very long time. Matter of fact, the first shots in this war aimed towards us happened way back in the Garden of Eden. And we've been in a war ever since. But we need to know who this enemy is. So let's look at Ephesians 6.12. Many of you are probably very familiar with this verse. It says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, I I have no doubt that we all understand the day-to-day struggles and battles of life. There's not a single one of us that doesn't get up in the morning and doesn't think, man, I really hope everything goes well today. I hope I have a good, stress-free day. I hope there's a lot of joy in my life and all these things. And, and some days we get days like that. But we all know there are things that happen in life. But you know what? We are in a spiritual battle, and it's not against this physical world. It's not against the things that we look at. It's not against the things that we see, but it's literally against the forces of darkness. And if you think something different than that, I'm sorry you're wrong. Now, I know that what I'm talking about here sounds more like the plot of a sci-fi or fantasy movie. That there's individuals, you know, you see the plot over and over again. That there's individuals that are walking around, they're going through life, something happens, and all of a sudden realize that they're in the middle of a battle for survival that is much deeper, and the enemy is much more sinister than they think, and that there's something outside the realm of what seems to be normal that's happening. I mean, we see plots along that way all the time, right? And, but the truth is, like it or not, 
You and I were born into this kind of battle. And it's not a movie plot. As I said, the first shots were fired in the Garden of Eden long before it became a pretty well-known movie plot. The problem is, this is reality. And we're standing in those kind of fights and those kind of battles. And, and there are those that realize that this is truly a war. But there are those that mistakenly think that somehow, well, I know that there's a spiritual enemy. I know that he's out there. But if I just tiptoe around enough, if I just don't make enough noise, if I don't make myself noticeable where I'm seeing, maybe he'll just leave me alone and I can have my good, comfy life. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I really... I really hope that that's the case. Not that he doesn't bother you, but I'm just saying, we, how many know we all want that nice life? We all want those things. But like it or not, we were born into this battle. And, and we realize that, that this battle's been going on for a long time, and the enemy is very, very real. And I know that there are those that just want to kind of do their own thing and hide. And I was thinking about that. I kind of thought of Gideon a little bit. And I'm not going to get all into the story, but if you know the story of Gideon that God used to help win some mighty battles against the enemy, he was trying to just tiptoe around. He was trying to just stay in stealth mode, so to speak. And literally, he was in a wine press, hiding, hoping just to, to ferry out enough grain to feed his family. And just he wanted to slip in, get a little bit of food for his family, slip out, and be un, unnoticed completely. But that was interrupted when the angel appeared before him and said, Greetings, mighty warrior. My point is... There's a warrior inside of you and I that you may not even realize is there. And we can't just go around. You know, we're not going to win this thing by hiding and being stealthy and thinking that somehow the enemy's going to leave us alone because that is not the case. So starting 2020, we need to see the enemy for who he is. We need to clearly see the enemy. So here's what I want you to remember. Seeing the enemy is vital to our survival. It's hard to stand against what you don't see coming. There are times we all find it difficult to reconcile this harsh reality of life. You know, because we do. As I said, we all desire this great life. We, we want to we have our great family. We want our kids to grow up in safety. We want to we have that moment that as the sun's sitting on our life, we're riding off and the caption comes up happily ever after. We want that. But we are in this war. And it is very real. But the good news is God wants those things for us too. And God has built in the, the protection that we need during those times. He's provided us safety. He's provided us happy endings. But like it or not, we're still at war. So I read the verse. I read verse 12 where it talks about that our battle is against flesh and blood. But that verse is sandwiched by two other verses that I want us to look at this morning it's verse 11 says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
Then the verse right after it talks about our battle of being against flesh and blood says this in verse 13. He says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, God's desire is to protect us. God's desire is to keep us safe. God's desire is to give us the means that we need to fight and to win this war. And I've got, here's the good news for you today. God gets his way. Amen. And the only way that doesn't happen is if we get in the way. Let's look at this. Paul, in writing to... Ephesians and the church in Ephesus in chapter 6 is this. He says to put on the whole armor of God. And we know that, but too often we forget that a huge part of his safety plan for us is to wear the armor. I want you to picture yourself. I kind of mentioned that much of this is a little bit like uh, some kind of movie plot that we've seen. So I want you to picture our status in this war with a little bit of a Hollywood flair to it for just a moment. Just let your mind kind of run with that for a little bit. We've all seen movies where people are, are going along and all of a sudden there's some, some dark evil force that they're facing and they find that moment that they're in a situation where they're surrounded and, and with all the cool Hollywood special effects, they're surrounded by some kind of creature that's got exposed fangs and glowing red eyes and they're drooling because they think they're about to have a meal and you're, and you're going to be the, the main course right now if you found yourself in that situation what would you what would you rather do how would you respond to that scenario would you want to say you know what i man i really hope i'd have a phone with me so i could call 911 because i know in 10 minutes they'd be there I think, well, maybe that's not fast enough for response time. Okay, I know. I would like a really cool squeaky toy that I could throw to them, and maybe that would keep them occupied until help could arrive. Or, you know what? If I could have a stool and a whip, I could tame those things. No. How about some divinely created armor that you could wear from head to toe that is endowed with power from heaven itself that gives you a shield and a weapon and those things were built for just such an event isn't that what should be our desire isn't that what we should long for in those kind of moments God didn't leave us alone he gave us the capability to withstand in those moments a holy suit of armor created for just such a circumstance. The truth is, you and I are standing in that scenario right now. Matter of fact, all of us are. Because we have an enemy, a very real enemy. Let's look at this. First Peter 5, 8, 9 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know what? You are not the only one that is in that mode. Look around the room. Every single one of us are in that same war and that same battle that you're in. Oh, it may not look the same. You may not, we may not all be facing the same type of weapons at the same time, but we are facing the same enemy. See, the truth is spiritual warfare is very real. And I'm not about to get goofy this morning. I don't want you to worry about that, but don't you understand this? This spiritual warfare is very real. And we, but we have not been left helpless. We've not been left without offense, we, defense. We were out, and we also have not been left without offensive capabilities to take the battle to the enemy. If you're looking, let me say this. This wasn't even in my notes, but if you're looking for a way to get the enemy to perhaps leave you alone, tiptoeing around, trying not to stir things up is not the way. The best thing to do is when he messes with you, you mess with him. All right, if you're going to do that, I'm going to get on the offensive. I'm going to pull out the sword here, and we're going to go at it. I'm going to take some ground you thought you had. But for us to do that, we need to understand the enemy. We need to understand his tactics. So number one, we need to understand the nature of our foe. See, too often today, the headlines misunderstand the nature of our foe. Our foe has no interest in peace. When our foe is standing there and declaring death to America and death to Israel, that gives you a pretty good idea of the nature of things. Now, I, please understand, I'm not saying we categorize all people of any color or any nationality as being a group, but I'm talking about the leadership of many of these places. They have one goal in mind. And that's to kill, steal, and destroy. That sounds just like our enemy that we face on a spiritual level. And there is no appeasement. There is no deals to be made. Our enemy is not some little cartoon demon that sits upon your shoulder and tries to make you think that, tries to argue with the little angel that's sitting on your other shoulder and tries to make you think, well, if you just go my way, it'll be a little bit more fun. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're facing here. We need to understand that, that it's, it's, he's not content with simply causing you some bumps in the road of life. He's not some mischievous little imp. We need to understand the Bible clearly describes him as going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That means destruction. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to devour you. Just in case you're not clear, the word devour means to eat greedily. Like the offensive and defensive line showing up at all-you-can-eat buffet. Eat greedily. Peter warns us that Satan is ravenous. He's not going around seeking some wee little bite. He desires to destroy. Matter of fact, if you look at it, let me understand this. I want you to understand this. You are at the top of the list of his targets. I've got a little theory on that. 
How many know the Bible says we're created in his image? So I believe at some level, every time he looks at us, he's reminded of his fall and what he lost and his anger as God is directed towards you and I because we're part of his redeemed. We have a status he can't have. So no wonder we see like in Genesis chapter 4 when God told Cain, sin is crouching at the, at the door and desires to have you. Or like he told Peter in Luke 22, Satan desires to have you. The difference here, what do we see here? We see one of them had, one of them failed miserably, the other one had some success. Oh, he was knocked down for a little bit. Peter messed up, he knocked down for a little bit, but Jesus said, I'm praying for you. And he rose up and he became the rock on which the church was built. Cain completely failed. Cain gave in to that sin and and it was crouching at the door. And not only was he devoured, but his brother was devoured in the process. See, in this case, we we see failure in other circumstances. But we see this, that our enemy explores every single Angle in every way he possibly can to try to find a way in. A few years back, Kim and I went on a getaway for our, our honeymoon. Not honeymoon, but we've been married a long time, 33 years. So, <laughs> Anniversary is the word I'm looking for. And so we had one day that we were just kind of staying away. We were just looking for easy, kind of chill things to do. And so there was a good zoo close by. We said, hey, let's just go to the zoo. I mean, it's in the middle of the week. It should be that crowded. We just kind of meander around and just have a good time. And, and, I, and I'll never forget, it was so clear. We went up to this, and there was a, a tiger, a white tiger in this one caged-in area. And there was this area you could walk by that had this huge glass wall. And the tiger was in there. And there was a little boy that was standing right up against the glass. And I was sitting there watching that tiger as cool as he was. He was pacing back and forth. He was looking at that little boy not like I want to pet you, you to pet me. (laughs) He was looking at that little boy. If I can figure out a way to get from here to there, your dinner. It, it It was a little, it was a little, you know, take back, you know, whoa. You know, I don't think the kid realized, but you, kid, do you see the way that thing's looking at you? But we need to understand that that's our enemy, that he paces back and forth. He's looking for the slightest crack. He's looking for the slightest opening. He's looking for a way to get in and to create havoc and to do things that would destroy your life and to mess things up. And just like in your house, you can do all that you try to do, but I mean, know that you can have, man, you can have the exterminator, you can have all the crack sealed, and you can be walking around your house like, where did that bug come from? Because all the enemy needs is a little opening. See, seeing the enemy is vital to our, our survival. But we need to make our choices understanding the nature of our foe. Let's look at another tactic. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in chapter Ephesians chapter 4 and he says this therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let sun go down on your anger and do not give opportunity to the devil. The devil. That's right. I know one's listening. So the other tactic that I want us to look at this morning is this. I've labeled it misidentification. Misidentification. See, Satan is the master at camouflage. If we don't have a clear vision of the enemy, he can make our our wrong cause seem right. He can even bring us to the point where we falsely identify a fellow soldier in the battle as the enemy. I want you to listen to me. This is so important because I've seen this tactic work time and time again. See, the truth is, even back in the garden, I talked about that being the the first shots that were fired. Eve had seen a serpent before. But yet this time, Satan comes in in the form of a serpent. And I want you to get something. I never really saw this through this picture before. But if you look at it, it stands up and it's true. Satan convinced Eve that he was looking after her best interest. And Satan made God the enemy saying he's just trying to hold you back from fulfillment and everything that's available for you if you'll just eat of this fruit. He is the master at taking things and twisting us and camouflaging himself as being on the right side and camouflaging what is good is right for us to mistakenly think that's, in, that's the enemy. And people fall for it again and again and again. See, what is, because he sets these traps. What does it take to make a trap? Well, number one, a, a, a trap is hidden or dis, and disguised. So if this prey stumbles into it without realizing what they've stepped into, he uses bait to lure the prey into his destructive jaws. And our enemy, make no mistake, is the master of this. He works overtime to lure us into a fence with somebody else that is on our, our side. Then he uses this offense to disguise a fellow believer as the enemy in our eyes. And we don't even realize that our enemy is manipulating us with bitterness the whole time. We think we're in the right. And the next thing you know, you use it, you're using your sort of the spirit, not against the enemy, but against a fellow believer. I can't tell you how many times I have seen somebody get offended at somebody else, and next thing you know, they're trying to use scripture against them. And they're, they spend their time attacking this fellow believer that is clueless as to why they're being attacked. 
And we, we, then, they, then here's what they do. They actively seek to recruit others to join their crusade of friendly fire. It happens again and again. I've got this bitterness. I've got this hurt. The enemy has turned it into this thing that it's the filter through which I see everything. So that person, no matter what they do, it can never be right. It can never be good. And this thing rises up. And if they don't get the satisfaction, they'll go and they'll find somebody else. And they'll begin to hurl accusations about somebody else that's a believer. We had better be careful. You'd better be careful. How many know that the battlefield is littered with those that are casualties due to friendly fire? Luke 17, 1. Jesus said this, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come. We're going to be offended. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to do something, and we're going to be offended. Then it goes on to say, but woe to him through whom they do come. See, offense isn't dangerous if we don't pick it up. Trust me, there are times that things are said that if I let myself, I could get very, very offended and I could very much so react in my flesh. But through the years, I've learned, you know what? It's not worth it. No good comes of it. All I can do is pray and let him be my vindication. Anytime, matter of fact, Kim had incidents that, I'm not going to get into the details, but there were some things that were happening, and Kim was ready to attack it head on, and she says the Holy Spirit plainly told her, say, you touched this and my hands are off. Yes, sir. That should be our attitude. Because offense isn't dangerous if we don't pick it up. The enemy can be resisted and strength the power of God, but his schemes must be clearly defined. So here's what I want you to look at for just a moment. If you, I'm going to read several scriptures in a row, and I'm going to tie this together. Matthew 22, Jesus said, this is the great and first commandment. Now, if you know the story, young man came to him and said, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And depending on which gospel you read it, some of them say, and strength. Then he says this, this is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many know when you, when you mess up, you want to be forgiven? You want to be given the benefit of the doubt? Then John 13, 34 says this, A new commandment I give you, Jesus talking again, that you love one another just as I have loved you and also are, you are to love one another. How many know that when he uses the words, As I have loved you, how has he loved us? How many times have we hurt him with our disobedience? And yet, we want his forgiveness? Which leads me to 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and 5. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It, doesn't, it does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. And if, that's, if Jesus speaking and Paul in his letter to Corinthians is in a much, let's look, at, let's look at Solomon in Proverbs. 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is... His glory to overlook an offense. See, far too often I see people, they let some offense take root and it gets deep and it becomes this bitter thing. And I want us to understand it's a tactic of the enemy that he uses again and again and again. And even if you win, even if you're right, What have you accomplished? Wouldn't it be better to swallow a little bit of pride and forgive whether you think they've done what they need to do or not and just go on? Because you know what Scripture tells us? That the same measurement you use will be used against you. That's scary. Seeing the enemy is vital to our survival. So don't be deceived into a friendly fire incident. Don't do it. You may find yourself surprised to find out you're fighting on the wrong side. So that's enough of the heavy part. You guys ready for the good news? There is something about being armored up together. And because of our longer altar time, I don't have a whole lot of time to really dive into this. I mean, my goodness, it would be so easy to dive into every single piece and element of the armor, and that's for another day and another time. But I want you to know there is something about us being armored up together. We must stay united in this war. We must clearly see the enemy and understand his tactics We must be armored up together. God has given us the armor. We need to be victorious. It will protect us. It will defend us. It will keep us strong in our darkest hour. It will be our strength when we need it. It will help us sustain in the heat of the battle and keep going on. God gave that for us for a reason, and we need to get up, and we need to be strapped up. Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, we understand what a belt is, right? But, you know, I was was telling the people that that arrived early, we were praying this morning, I was telling them, you know, there's there's a term. Now, I'm all about using a a modern translation that kind of is written a little bit more like we speak that I I can understand and read and digest. And as I've told 100 people, when they ask me what the best translation is, I say the one that you will read. <laughs> right? Amen. Now, if you want to really get at theological bones, I can give you some recommendations, but it has, does no good to be correct if it's just sitting on a shelf. But there's a term that I love in the King James. Every now and then I find myself going back to the King James because there's just some terms that it uses that I'm like, I like that. And when it talks about the belt, I love what it says. It talks about being girded up. 
We don't use that term much anymore. We don't talk about being guarded up. For us, belts are more of an accessory. Right? But I don't think Jesus meant for us to be on the battlefield to be sitting there saying, does this belt go with my armor? Does it clash with my sword? Did anybody get the memo of the color scheme for today's skirmish? Since I want to wear this belt, I think I'm going to go a little lighter on my armor today and carry my little small dagger instead of my sword. No. I mean, the idea of being girded up means forget what fashion looks like. I'm going to wear a heavy belt of truth that I can strap on and tighten things up, and it's going to hold all those pieces where they need to be because if we're not, if it's not held together by the truth, it comes unraveled, and we're easily defeated because we need to be able to stand. It needs to be durable in the heat of battle. So why does Paul make a big deal about standing? Because we are commanded. We have this call to arms. We don't have time for petty divisions. We don't have time to, we need to stand ready to defeat and to defend each other's flank. Because the same onslaught that you're facing is the onslaught that the one to your right and to your left is facing. the truth, the belt of truth is it holds it all together and it has nothing to do with the most popular trends. It's either truth or it's not. Then Paul explains that we need to be equipped with a shield of faith and then I'm going to wrap this up. When he talks about it, he talks about the first three. He talks about the belt. He talks about the breastplate and the shoes. All those things are more longer range. Those were the things that the soldiers of the day didn't take off. They may not necessarily be marching with their helmet on. They may not necessarily be marching with their shield strapped up tight and their sword out. But those are the things that they wore as they moved along, as they went along. But the second one, the shield, is part of that. And he talks about the shield and the sword and the offensive side of things. While a shield is defensive, somebody knows a shield can also be offensive. In the, in the Roman times, during that time, there were basically two types of shield. There was a smaller round shield that was used for more one-to-one combat. That they would, it was lighter and more maneuverable. They could be used to block and they could fight and it was more one-on-one. But then there was a larger shield. There was a shield that was used for, for kind of group combat. That was, that when you formed lines, it was there. And literally this shield was four and a, roughly four and a half feet tall and roughly two and a half feet wide. And it was meant to be out front and to protect. And many times in battle, they would build a shield wall. They would stand shoulder to shoulder with each person butting their shield up against the other one. And historically, there's evidence that at times that shield wall could stretch actually a mile wide as those facing the battle would line up side by side, shoulder to shoulder, putting their shields together and building a 
a wall that was literally looked not only intimidating, but impenetrable to the enemy. Paul talks about extinguishing the fiery arrows or the fiery darts. It was common then for fiery arrows to be lobbed in the crowd. But if, you, if you're standing there and you're side by side and you're all behind these shields and you know you can depend on the one on your right and you know you can depend on the one on your left, as long as everybody stays unified and advancing together, it was almost impossible to stop. And the enemy feared it. We need to have that faith and trust together. We need to interlock with one another. There's evidence that even at times they were made beveled where they could actually be interlocked with one another. We can't let the enemy mistake us into thinking the one on our right and the one, or the one on their left is the enemy when they're not. We are at war and we must see the enemy for who he is and we must stand side by side tighter than ever. Ran across this quote that I think fits in perfectly that uh, don't know who the author is, wasn't able to track it down, but it says this. It is faith in something that makes our lives worth living, but it is faith in Christ that makes life worth losing. See, we need to be strapped up and ready. We, when we arise in the morning, isn't that part of what we're doing here today is that we're gathering together? We're worshiping the same Lord together? We're, 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 we're part of a group that has one strategy and one purpose? And if we're going to do this thing, if we're going to watch, we need to learn to stand shoulder to shoulder. That doesn't mean you have to agree with the person on your right and on your left with with every single thing that they do. We are individuals after all. And if you look around, there's some people in here that are very different than you and me. That's okay. As long as we have our eyes on the same Lord and same Savior, we're marching under the, the same King, and we're advancing the kingdom together side by side, shoulder to shoulder, with our, with our shields firm in hand and ready to use that sword. So I thought about that. I thought of, how does that look in the context of a church? And then my mind went to when Nehemiah was in the midst of trying to rebuild the wall and the enemy did not want that to happen. What did they go to doing? I love this. To me, this is a picture of the church. They worked, and they worked on their area, but a system was put in place that every person that worked had a sword strapped on. And when the enemy attacked one area and the alarm was sounded over there, everybody dropped their work and they ran over to defend that one area. Isn't that what the church should look like? that we're there for one another, that when somebody's facing a battle and the alarm sounds, we're there to fight side by side. Let me tell you this. One of the tactics of the enemy that I don't have time to get into this morning 
is that he loves to isolate. It could be some difficulty that you're going through. It could be some offense that you have. It could be some way that you feel like that you don't measure up. It could be some something way that you feel like that you let the Lord down. But the enemy loves to isolate us and make us feel like that somehow we don't belong and get us to back off and go do our own thing. And when you're out there alone, you pray. We need each other. We need each other. And I know that this is heavy. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. I want to challenge you this morning. To acknowledge, to understand that we are in a war. And that this battle is real. And the casualties are real. And we need to understand who our foe is. There are no deals to be made. He is just as determined to get each and every one of us as he is the other, and sometimes maybe even those that are a little more prominent, if he can take this out, the the collateral damage is incredible. We need to understand who the enemy is and the way he works. And then we need to be on guard against misidentification. You know, if there is something you're harboring against somebody else, I can't find any scriptural basis for holding on to that. It needs to be let go. I posted something recently. I just kind of, I was having my own devotion time and ran across a couple of scriptures and kind of a couple of thoughts came together and I I posted online and I got a message for somebody I hadn't talked to in a long time. I had no clue. And they sent me a message saying, that really spoke to me. You probably didn't know this, but I had bitterness towards you. I was shocked. But the cool thing is we're able to reconcile that. There is something about reconciliation. If you're holding something against somebody, sit it right. It's not worth it. If you really were wrong, let God be your vindication. Because it's not worth holding on to. But then lastly, we need to commit to be there for one another. So I want to do something symbolic. I want us to stand our feet, if you will. I want you to literally, physically get shoulder to shoulder with some people that are nearby you. We can fill in the aisles. It's okay. If you're if you're a guest and you don't know these people, I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray 
for those that are on your right and on your left. That way everybody will be prayed for. And I want you to make a vow in your mind. You may know them, you may not know them. How many of that doesn't really matter? If they're a believer and they need you, then we need to be willing to stand side by side with them. So I want us to make, I want us to pray for each one that is on each side of us, and I want us to also make a commitment to be there for one another, to not let some ungodly division work its way in. Because I believe there are some things that God wants to accomplish for 2020. I believe, I don't think it was a mistake that we felt the Holy Spirit's presence like we felt it during worship. God knew what the service was about today. He's the one that set the tone. Like I said, I was headed in a completely different direction. But it's going to take us being unified to get there. Amen? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you for these that are a part of this body. Lord, let us be a people that truly stand shoulder to shoulder. Lord, that we realize that we truly are in a war. If the enemy desires to kill, steal, and destroy And, Lord, he wants to bring division. But, Lord, let us clearly see who the enemy is. Let us stay focused on the enemy and on the schemes of the enemy and not let petty divisions cause something to happen that would would bring an area that the enemy could expose and exploit. But, Lord Jesus, that we truly are there for one another. Lord, we pray for each other. Lord, we ask you to help us, Lord, defend one another. I pray, Lord God, that we would truly be there for one another. And Lord, we'd be unified as we move this thing forward together. Lord, we thank you for it in the precious, precious name of Jesus. Lord, let us be a strong, invincible force, strapped up, girded up with the armor. Lord, and to go on the offensive and to take new ground in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you all.